Thank you so much, worship team. Thank you, Jeremy. That was such a blessing. It is such a joy to be with you all today. I'd like to invite you to turn with me in a Bible to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. As you're turning there, I want to also just offer my, my thanks, great thanks to all the mil- military personnel who've served. That was humbling to see how many here have been in the military. Thank you so much for your service. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And then before we jump in, I just want to do one more shout out, and that's to Dale Brown and Brian Van Dyke, who graciously met with me this past week for breakfast. We went over this passage together we're about to jump into. I'm so grateful for their insights and their influence on this sermon. So thank you guys. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to start by reading just verse 1. But know this, hard times will come in the last days. Please pray with me. Lord, as as we think about the lives you've given to us and the opportunity to leave a legacy, we pray that you would bless that legacy to reflect you. Lord, in the midst of hard times that we live in, that you would shine brighter, that you would be glorified in what we offer to the next generation. We pray for your help this morning that you would speak to us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I went to college at the University of Cincinnati, and one of the main groups of people that I hung out with down there, they were called the Baptist Campus Ministry, or BCM, and it was so much fun. We would do meals together, we would hang out together. Every Thursday, we had this on-campus worship session where we'd go, we had a worship group, I played drums, it was super fun. We had uh, like different speakers who would come and speak to us, usually like pastors from local churches. And every Thursday after that on-campus worship, we would go to our house. It was a house on this street, just across the street from campus, along with other fraternity and sorority houses, we had our collegiate ministry house. And we would go there and we would hang out. We would have cookies and we would talk to each other. There was always new students coming to hang out. So we got to meet a lot of new people each week. And so I would have these like standard icebreaker questions just in my head in case I was going to meet somebody new, which happened like every single week. So I would ask, what's your major? Because that would open up a whole door to like questions about what they're into. I would ask, what's your favorite color? Which is just kind of fun, kind of nice to get to know. And then I would ask a question that people would always give me a strange look at and It was rightfully a strange look. I would say something like, one day when you're on your deathbed and you look back at your life, what will you look back and say, man, I'm really glad I did that with my time. And it just didn't seem like the right setting to ask a very thoughtful question like that. But I was trying to get at, you know, like, what is your core? What are you all about? What are you passionate about? What do you want to do with your life? So that question has been one that in my life over the years, I've reflected on and tried to come back to once and once again. And over the years, it's kind of evolved in my mind. Having kids really kind of refresh that question, like this crazy idea that as parents, we can create a creature whose life will extend beyond our own. And we have this ability to influence something far beyond ourselves. And then another thing that kind of has evolved in my mind about what legacies look like is, usually I've thought about legacy as something like the end of my life, I pass on influence and life, um, just knowledge and wisdom to the next generation. But recently I've realized that legacy is also at the end of each stage of our life, we are leaving a legacy, whether we want to or not. When we graduate from high school, 
I left a legacy of influence to those around me and they did to me as well. When I left college, I hardly see any people from college that I, that I was in college with, but we left a legacy with each other in different stages of adulthood in our career. We're constantly leaving a legacy to those around us. So when we think about at the end of our lives, looking back saying, I really want to have done this with my life. The question I want us all to ask ourselves this morning is, right now, am I doing what I want to have done? Am I really working up toward that? So when I look back, I'll say, I'm so glad that's what I spent my time doing. Or, like is so much the case with me, do I look at my life right now and say, wow, uh, I get home from work, I'm exhausted, I veg on the couch, I watch TV. Is that really building up to where I want to be? Well, today in 2 Timothy, we're going to read about Paul, who's writing a letter. It's, it's, he is anticipating his own death. He's thinking about his legacy. He's writing to his child in the faith, Timothy, and he's, he's encouraging Timothy with a legacy. But there is something that could prevent that legacy from going on. Hard times are coming. There could be a disconnect between Paul extending a legacy down to Timothy, and that can happen in our lives too. So I hope this morning that we will think hard about ways that our legacy will be what we really want it to be, and that it will persevere through the challenges of our day. So this morning, from 2 Timothy 3, I hope to consider three ways of how we can leave a godly legacy that perseveres. Three ways. The first way to leave a legacy that perseveres is to avoid influences that lead away from God. To leave a legacy that perseveres, we must avoid influences that lead us away from God. Let's dive back into 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. Paul writes to Timothy, But know this, hard times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. For among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janes and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. They are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress for their foolishness will be clear to all as was the foolishness of Janez and Jambres. Okay, what is going on here? There's a lot of kind of list form in here. Let's jump on in and let's try to learn how we can leave a legacy that perseveres. Well, Paul starts by explaining that hard times will come in the last days. What does that mean, last days? It seems that in the New Testament, the term last days has to do with the period of time between Jesus' earthly ministry his earthly uh, teaching, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and when he will come back. So every period from when Jesus was on earth till now, till his return, we are living through the last days. In the letter of 1 John, John says, it is the last hour. And he was writing in the first century. So this description, this list of sins that Paul describes what happening in the last days, this is familiar to us as we look around. Now, there's this list that Paul gives us in verses 2 to 5, and 
what's really noteworthy is how it starts. It says, for people will be lovers of self. Theologian Thomas D. Leah, he explains helpfully here, the key to understand the list is the initial term, lovers of themselves. When the center of gravity in an individual shifts from God to self, a plethora of sins can spring up. And I see so much of my own heart reflected in this list. How when I take God off the throne of my heart and then I put myself there, God's design of me flourishing under his leadership gets tainted and I I turn inward and I I seek my own pleasures, my own gratification. I'm boastful, I'm proud. I, I put myself above God. And it's so easy to go that way. We all feel that. And Paul is saying, look, if you want to leave a legacy that perseveres, avoid those kind of influences. As Paul keeps on going, verse six, he describes these influences more, saying, for among them are those who worm their way into households. These are deceptive influences, deceiving those who are gullible. And for a while, it might seem to us like, well, those, those ways are really cool. Look at all these nice benefits. Paul says, in the end, for their foolishness will be clear to all. So that's not the way that you want to go. So Paul, he's at the end of his life. He wants to leave a legacy to Timothy, but he sees a threat. All of these influences that could pull in the wrong direction. We have that threat today too. So what can we do? Paul says clearly in verse 5, avoid these people. And that's what this point is all about. Avoid influences that lead away from God. This is a radical command. But in what sense does Paul mean avoid these people? I mean, shouldn't we be like loving everybody? Doesn't Jesus want his commission to go to all people? And even Paul himself in the chapter before this, 2 Timothy 2, he says, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them with repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. So what do you mean, Paul? What do you mean avoid these people? Again, helpfully, theologian Thomas D'Elia says, the command did not demand a termination of all personal relations. So it's not like you can't talk to them anymore. But it does suggest that he had to practice a separation in spirit from the actions and attitudes of the aorists. So it requires wisdom on our part But we are called to make radical decisions, removing certain influences from our life. My family growing up, we would go camping in the Smoky Mountains each year. We still do. Uh, We go, we camp at a campground called Elkmont. It's in the National Park and it's so pretty. It's like in the mountains, trees, forests, and there's this creek that runs past the campsites. We always want to get a creekside campsite because you can hear this creek. It's kind of cascading over these rocks, really beautiful. And at the end of this little streamway, it opens up in this broader pool that you can go swim in. It's really cold, so I don't jump in much anymore. But as a kid, I would jump in and go swimming sometimes. And when it rains a lot, the creek gets heavier and more forceful. And I remember one time it had done that, I think, and it was this opening pool. So I went in like other people did. We went swimming. But because it was so open, it looked like it wasn't really flowing very strong. It just looked like a nice pool to jump in and swim. 
But when I got in, I realized there was a very strong current going here. I couldn't see it very well, but it was pulling me, and it was scary because I couldn't get where I wanted to go. I felt like I was being sucked away, and eventually I just had to kind of go along with the current but go off to the side so I could get off onto the shore. But it was scary. It was taking over my direction. I couldn't control myself. So many influences in our life are like that. It doesn't look like this is going to hurt me very much. I'm just going to dabble in this. But it can get a hold of us and pull us in a direction that we don't want to go. And so the Bible is telling us to avoid these. What are some examples in our own lives? What are, are there relationships in your life that are leading you away from Jesus? If so, are there changes that need to be made? Maybe there's a dating relationship that you're in that's not helping you grow closer to Jesus. Or is it influences that are not as personal but still permeating like tv like youtube i just i can't get over how much media fills up all of our our senses how we can't get away from it and the bible's calling us to avoid influences in a radical way that lead us away from god and each of us will have to use wisdom to know what that might look like for some of us it might look like we need to get rid of our tvs it's not a bad thing. What would it cost us to get rid of TV? What would that gain us? What would the influence on our family be if we just decided we're going to fast from our tablets for three months? Pornography is such a stronghold in so many lives. What would it cost you just to get rid of the internet or get rid of your computer or to say after five o'clock I'm not going to use my phone? Whatever it may be, we need to make radical decisions to preserve a godly legacy. That's what is at stake here. And think about our kids. Are there influences on our kids at their school, where they play, where they hang out, that are not helping them grow closer to God? Do we know what they're watching on their tablets or on TV? And this sermon is directed right towards me. Can we help them? Can we help them avoid influences that pull them away from God? What's at stake is a legacy. So first, how do we leave a legacy that perseveres we avoid influences that lead away from God. But of course, that's only one side of the same coin. The other side, our second point, is to leave a legacy that perseveres. Not only do we avoid influences that lead away from God, but second, we embrace influences that lead to God. To leave a legacy that perseveres, we must embrace influences that lead us to God. Let's keep reading in 2 Timothy verse three, starting, uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 10. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and impostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. So, Paul had instructed Timothy, stay away from these influences that pull you away from God, but rather follow my example. Paul is following Jesus, and so therefore, he can call Timothy to follow him. And he's saying, look at my teaching. Think about the teaching that came out of Paul's mouth, some of which we get to read in the New Testament, this sound doctrine, this truth. Paul also says, look at my conduct. So it's not just Paul's words, but it's his life. He didn't just talk the talk, but he walked the walk with his life. And Paul says, look at that. Look at my purpose. Paul's steadfast passion for Jesus. 
Paul's faith in God, his patience, his love, his endurance. And not only those, those things, but Paul saying, look, I was persecuted and I suffered. Paul, Paul talks about three different places he suffered, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. And it may be that Timothy had even personally witnessed Paul's suffering at Lystra because that was likely Timothy's hometown. I don't know that I can imagine a much greater way to encourage someone's faith than have someone, an older person of faith next to them, living it out right in front of them. Another college story. So uh, as I said, I went to the college at the U University of Cincinnati. And there was one time where I was looking for a place to stay. I wanted to live around campus. And there was that collegiate ministry house. It was right across the street from campus. The house had two levels. The bottom level was kind of for ministry use. They would do Bible studies and stuff. But upstairs, a group of seven or so guys lived there. And I thought, I want to live up there. It's cheap. It's close to campus. That would be convenient. So I applied and I got in. I thought, this is cool. This is working out good. Well, the other guys who lived up there, they were all older than me. And they would wake up early in the mornings and do like a devotion together. And it was like 7 a.m. It was like so early for me in college. It was like, I do not want to get up at 7 a.m. And so I would roll out of bed with them and they would like pray and sing together. And I just got this glimpse into these guys who I looked up to so much of genuine passion for Jesus. And they were living out their faith on campus. And I was like, whoa, that is amazing. And the legacy that they left in my life still perseveres to this day. It still influences my personal faith, our family life. That had such an influence in me because I got to see genuine faith lived out. That was an influence on me. Where are there in your life places that you can embrace godly influences? Because again, it's your legacy. It's our legacy that is at stake. We have to secure our faith along this life if we want to stay preserved to the end. Are there ways that we can embrace godly influences to help us? We all need help along the way. Are there friendships with other brothers and sisters that you can invest in? Maybe people here at church you can start hanging out with, pray together, hang out together with. Is there a life group that you can get involved in? We would love for every person to be involved in a life group. And you can learn more info about our specific life groups at our Next Steps desk. But a group of people doing faith together, doing life together, praying for each other. Is there a mentoring relationship that you might want to be in? That's something that we should all be praying about. Lord, is there someone who could be mentoring me? Because I need to grow. I need to embrace godly influences. And then the other side of that then is, can I be a godly influence to someone else? Because we all need this help along the way. Who is there in my life that I can encourage with what God has given me? Are there people that we can just hang out with? I mean, it's really that simple. That's what the guys that I lived with in that collegiate ministry house did with me. I just lived life with them. And when we had fun together, we had fun together. And when faith came up, it came up and it was real. I think about as a parent, hanging out with my kids. I want to do a better job of just playing with them, just wrestling with them on the ground, taking time intentionally, setting aside every other distraction and being present with them because that builds a relationship. And then when moments present themselves where it's faith teaching opportunities, we have that relationship established and there's that openness, there's that trust and an opportunity to share and to encourage. That's not just a parent-child thing, it is, but it's a relationship with anybody kind of thing. Are there people who we can just devote more intentional time to? Can we pray for others 
Maybe in our personal devotional times, we can say, God, who are you leading me to pray for? That they would be encouraged, that they would be equipped, that they would be protected from temptation. Parents, can we intentionally set aside time, mothers and fathers, to pray for our kids, to pray for the legacy that we desire to leave them with, to pray for each individual child? And one other very practical thing, which I think has a huge impact, can we write a letter to somebody? Can we write a letter? In this case, Paul is writing a letter extending the legacy God has given him to Timothy. And that, that legacy continues down to our own day. Is there someone who we can write a letter to that will encourage their faith? I have two quick letter stories, because letters have really impacted my life. They're so easy in, in a sense and practical, but they have a huge impact. Example number one, I was in high school, I think I was a senior, and for an English class, we were assigned to write a letter to somebody. I didn't want to do this assignment. I was just like, whatever, okay. So I wrote this letter to someone in my church. He was an older gentleman, and I just did this because I was supposed to. So I think I gave it to him, and I thought, okay, checked off that thing, what's next? But one day, that guy, he wrote a letter back to me, and it started this mentoring relationship that had a huge effect in my faith and encouraged me because this guy was pouring into my life and it just started with writing a single letter. Another example, my grandfather, he's passed away about 10 years now, but before he died, he wrote me an email. It's on Gmail and it was so awesome. It was like life lessons, encouragement in the faith and I can go back to that. I just search in, in my Gmail, go back to Peepaw, there it is. And it's like he's still there. And his legacy has persevered in my life because he wrote that letter. If you take away nothing else from today, I might hopefully take away a couple things, but one thing that would be write a letter. Do it today because we, we're not promised tomorrow. Write a letter to somebody encouraging in their faith. It could be to a child. It could be up to someone that you look up to to say thank you, but it will encourage their faith. Again, this is all about legacy. So how can we embrace influences that will lead us closer to God? Writing a letter is one way to do that. Okay, so we got two points so far. To leave a legacy that perseveres, avoid influences that lead us away from God, embrace influences that lead us to God. But most importantly, so far, it kind of sounds like this is all about us just trying harder. The most important thing is step number three. To leave a legacy that perseveres, rest in the God who rescues. To leave a legacy that perseveres, rest in the God who rescues. This whole legacy thing, it can start to be kind of like self-centered if you're going about it the wrong way. Because really, all of our life stories, they're God's stories. And he is weaving them together into this beautiful, grand narrative. And sometimes that means our stories don't look the way we may have wanted them to. But if we are following God, if we're resting in him, he will weave our story into his beautiful story, which is all about Jesus. I want to look at one little uh, verse. We've already read it. I just want to come back to it for a moment. It's, at, it's the second part of verse 11. Paul says, what persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. So Paul, again, he had been talking about persecutions he had experienced at different places. You can even read about them in the book of Acts. And he says, the Lord rescued me from them all. And when he says, the Lord rescued me from them all, it seems that he's referring to a psalm, Psalm 34, which is a psalm about God's protection and care. Psalm 34, 19 says, one who is righteous has many adversaries, but the Lord rescues him from them all. 
And then the next verse in the psalm, verse 20 says, he protects all his bones, not one of them is broken. And what's super cool about this is that verse about the bones not being broken, that's picked up in the Gospel of John in reference to the crucifixion of Jesus. Remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, there was two others on either side of him being crucified, and both of those two others' legs were broken, their bones were broken, but when they came to Jesus, he was already dead, so they pierced his side, they didn't break his bones. And John, writing in the gospel, he seems to refer back to this verse and saying, it was fulfilled. Jesus' bones were not broken. So God protects and rescues his people. And when we suffer for following Jesus, we're following in the footsteps of Jesus, who even went to death, but God still rescued him. God will rescue his people, and we simply rest in that truth. We rest in who God is. And that rescue may not always look the way we want it to. Our legacy may not always look the way that we hoped it would, but God is faithful to rescue. I love this quote by theologian Hendrickson. He says, the Lord ever rescues his people frequently from death, sometimes by means of death. Either way, nothing ever separates them from his love. God has rescued his people through the faithful, amazing sacrifice of Jesus who died on the cross for us in the place of sinners so that the unbreakable, so that the relationship that's been broken between us and God is mended through the precious blood of Jesus rescuing us. We can rest in that finished work. And that's the invitation for all of us today to put our trust and life in Jesus. And in doing that, we will preserve a legacy for God's glory. So have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you put your trust in him? In doing that, that will give a legacy to the next generation that cannot compare with any other gift we could offer. So to leave a legacy that perseveres, avoid influences that lead away from God, embrace influences that lead to God, but most importantly, rest in the God who rescues. I wanna close with this final thought. Throughout this whole COVID pandemic, um, it has caused me to remember what has always been true, and that is we never know when our time is. God is the one who knows how long, how many days, how many heartbeats we have. We don't know. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so we need to leave our legacy today. Many of you knew Brian Freeland, former member here. We learned recently about his unexpected passing away. I knew Brian mostly through working with the youth group. Brian, he was one of rotating teachers who would teach youth on Sunday mornings. And when he would teach youth, he taught with passion. He was not just like blah, blah, blah. He was passionate about their souls. He was passionate about their eternity. And he told them about Jesus. Brian died way sooner than I would have preferred. But he left a legacy that perseveres. He left it when he had the time to do it. He didn't wait till it was too long. And that perseveres in my life today. So may God help us leave a legacy that perseveres. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of life that you've given to each of us, the opportunity to influence those around us, to shine for you. And we pray that you would allow us to do that 
in such a way that it matters for your kingdom, that you would use us to leverage every heartbeat, every breath you give us for your glory. And we pray you'd protect us from being distracted by things that would lead us away from that, things of this world. We pray that you would use us and that you would multiply any legacy that we could offer, the next generation, those around us, for your glory. We rest in you as the master storyteller. Thank you for letting us be a part of your story. In Jesus' name, amen.